Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. From Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 25. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, They prayed for the new believers that they they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Thanks, Lindsay. So now we're going to have Mathy come to speak to us today um, on this theme of surprising power. Um, So welcome, uh, Mathy. And let me just pray for you before you speak to us. So let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, that you are a God who speaks, who longs to reveal yourself to us so that we might know you better. I pray, Lord, for um, Matthew uh, today. I pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, um, lead and guide him as he speaks to us. and Lord, I pray for our own hearts. Uh, I pray that you would open our ears so that we would have ears to hear you. Lord, would you help us just to long for you, to thirst for more of you and um, to want to know you better. Um, 
And so Lord, would you just come and have your way uh, in this time now, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Katie. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, I'm Matthew. I'm on the, the staff team here at Christ City Church. Matthew is short for Matthew. I just found out today that uh, the Microsoft Word doesn't actually accept Matthew. It brings up a red squiggly line, so I'm going to have to get that addressed. But anyway, guys, I, I don't know what, what your last week has looked like, but on Sunday night last, rumours began to circulate uh, across Europe, across the media, about a European Super League within the realm of football. You, you may have heard about it. My wife, Emma, has not stopped hearing about it all week. I've been quite vocal about it in private, of course. But anyway, club owners of some of the most elite football teams in Europe and, and Tottenham Hotspur, for some reason, conspired to break away from the convention of the football pyramid. So in, instead of earning your way into competitions through footballing success, a, a league for franchises where the elite teams couldn't be promoted or relegated was set up. So really, it, it, was, it was a league that would serve to make the wealthy even more wealthy without the remainder of the football pyramid all the way down to grassroots level, which is, which is basically my level, benefiting equally. It, it is a staggering move. It, it highlighted the greed and the corruption within European football. It basically highlighted what everybody already knew, but it was so blatant, it was so flagrant. And so in the end up, over the course of the week, uh, the protestations of the fans of these clubs at the heart um, the fans at the heart of these clubs were, were so severe that the whole project had, has now been stalled and potentially and, and hopefully scrapped. So I say this because all too often, whenever we read about power struggles, as we see these play out, often at the core is nothing more than greed, self-accumulation, if you will. That's what's driving the need for power and control is this greed, this self-accumulation where I get better I, I, I increase, I benefit, this is good for me, therefore I'm going to exert power. And so as we, as we dive into Acts chapter 8, there too we find a power struggle. And we'll see today that, that the Holy Spirit is power that equips the needy, not the greedy. And so as, as we make our way through the passage, I want to highlight, highlight to us today two truths and a lie. So we're going to see a demonstrated power that proclaims we're going to see an equal power that qualifies, and we're going to see a distorted power that actually corrects. So a, a demonstrated power that, that proclaims, we're looking at verses 1 to 8 here. Acts chapter 8 is birthed in response to the killing of Stephen. On that, on that very day, on that very same day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was a catalyst for even more persecution. So the, basically the religious leaders got away with killing Stephen. Therefore, this is basically the green light to persecute all, all Christians, to persecute the rest of them, which actually in turn fulfilled the first part of Jesus' great commission. The gospel spread in Jerusalem, it had begun here, and now they've been scattered. It's in Judea and then Samaria. And so the gospel spread in Jerusalem, the work has now begun, it's time to go out. That's basically what it looks like. It didn't feel that way now. The, the, the believers were forced out, they were scattered, and, and the pattern of the reality of persecution began for believers, which still trends today. Now, I, I get that we maybe don't face persecution in the same way they did then, but there's other parts of the world where, where they're facing persecution every bit as bad, if not worse. But look what happens when the believers are scattered. 
Look at, look at the text. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So with the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus, the gospel spread. These ordinary believers through the power of the Spirit carried an urgency to proclaim the Messiah wherever they went. So through signs, through wonders, demons fled, the lame were healed. Jesus was revealed to the people. And look at the verdict in verse 8. Look at verse 8 says, there was great joy in that city. Church, I want to tell you that Satan's attempts at destroying the church was God's means of building the church. So what was Satan's attempt to destroy the church? God actually had it as his means to build the church. You know, all, all the way back in Genesis chapter 50, and Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, to accomplish now what has been done, the saving of many lives. You know, through Joseph, God had a plan of salvation. He had a purpose in all the suffering. Before Joseph was ever in the palace, he was in the prison, and even before that, he was in the pit. So the suffering and the persecution that Joseph faced was actually designed to bring about something even greater. And, you know, don't, don't, don't hear me wrong here. God wasn't making the best of a bad situation. He wasn't making the best of a bad situation. But his purposes in Joseph's life and then in, in the even greater Joseph Jesus and now in his faithful followers was to use persecution and suffering as a means to grow his church. You know, the, the old second century church father, Tertullian, you'll see him on the screen here. He, he said this, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. Your injustice is proof that we are innocent. The oftener we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. The blood of Christians is seed. You know, at, at our city group on Wednesday night past, Stephen, uh, not Stephen, it was Gil, another Stephen, pointed out that for many of us in Dublin, possibly the greatest thing that we have, uh, or the greatest persecution perhaps, or the greatest thing we have to risk is actually our reputation before others. Perhaps that's as a consequence of Christendom, and perhaps for, for other reasons, the level of persecution we're facing is minuscule uh, to others whose very lives are at danger, or maybe following Jesus is totally illegal in their country. Perhaps a death penalty is, is in store if you're, if you're known to be a Christian. But nevertheless, the proclamation of the gospel here is for absolutely everyone, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance. And so there's a need for power from the Spirit to enable that proclamation for everyone, regardless if it's just your, your reputation that's at stake or regardless if it's your life at stake. We need a power from the Spirit to enable the proclamation. And so we're introduced to this new guy, Philip. And all we know to this point is that he was, he was one of the seven. He was like Stephen, yet now he's scattered. He can't do the task he was appointed to. But yet through his words and his works, he reveals Christ to others. Where? Where is that? The reality hits home whenever we remember that every follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit within them. What to do to empower them to live out lives that magnifies Christ. And so one of the tough aspects of this reality is that God often uses adverse situations in our lives to bring about his purposes and to proclaim his glory. So what we see in the early church is that people who allow their circumstances to propel the proclamation that Christ is the Messiah rather than the hinder it. Do you get that? In the early church, we've got a people who allow their circumstances to propel the gospel rather than hinder it. See what it says? The more often we are mowing down, the more we grow. 
the blood of Christians is seed. The blood of Christians is the seed of the church. We see throughout church history that explosive periods of growth are when the church seems to be on its knees. When the, when the church is persecuted, when, when, when Christians are hard pressed, yet there's never a time that's more potent for the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit to break into the lives of Christ's followers. So whenever persecution comes, there's probably, there's probably no time that whenever the church is at its most powerful because it's so dependent on the Spirit. So we've got to demonstrate a power that proclaims. Now we've got an equal power that actually qualifies, an equal power that qualifies. If you look in verse 9, we're introduced to Simon, a magician, someone who, you can see it says, practiced sorcery in the city and, and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that, that he was someone great. And all, all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and they exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for, for a long time with the sorcery. The context here is crucial. Samaria was home to the Samaritans, a race absolutely hated by the Jews, a people treated as social outcasts. They're ceremonially unclean. They were the lowest of the low. They, they were descended from Jews initially. But after the reign of King Solomon, uh, Israel as a nation was split into two. You had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was taken captive by Assyria in 722 BC. And the, the, the Assyrians had a, a practice of removing the skilled people and the intelligent. And they put to death the priests and they put to death those who could rebel before assimilating this northern kingdom into their practices, intermarrying, taking on idols, child sacrifices. Basically, these people became a mixed bag, a people diluted. And so they were saw by the pure Jews as just a half-breed, as, as less than worthy, as basic dogs. And so Philip is here proclaiming through signs and wonders that Jesus is a Messiah. And now we've got a situation on our hands because this is Simon's backyard. It's his territory. He's the great power of God after all. Simon was seen as a demigod, so to speak. The, the Samaritans accepted Simon's own account of himself. Uh, but here we read that Simon himself believed and was baptized. What on earth? He believed and he was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. What's really interesting here is that the great power of God, this title, the Apostle Paul in his, in his letter to, to the Corinthians later applies this to Jesus. Paul actually says Jesus is the great power of God. Jesus is a manifestation of God, not this magician Simon. When, when, the, when the apostles heard that the incredible news that even the Samaritans, that the dirty half-breeds, responded to the gospel, they went and sent Peter and John, the apostles, down to Samaria to check it out, to see if this was legitimate or not. And we've got a real defining moment here that radically shapes the history of the church. So as Peter and John placed their hands on the Samaritans, an unclean practice in and of itself, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit had been given to non-Jews as well. What on earth? Not only that, it had been given to the lowest of the low, the half-bred Samaritans. This transforming power was for everyone. No class, no creed, no color, no culture was left out. God's Spirit was poured out indiscriminately, and it wouldn't be long before the church became a Gentile majority. It wouldn't be long before the church became a Gentile majority. I'm a Gentile today. We're, the majority of us, we're all Gentiles today. 
praise the Lord for this moment because ultimately we get to be here because of that. So the sign of Peter and John laying hands on the Samaritans authenticated the validity of the coming of the Spirit. This was a game changer. Gentiles now on equal footing. They too were engrafted into God's family, regardless of their background, regardless of their race, regardless of the preconceptions that went before them. And maybe you're sitting here and you're, you're feeling fairly disqualified because you've messed up before, thinking that because, because of a, a past moral failure, maybe a past experience, maybe it's your background, could be your upbringing, that God can't use you. I want to tell you that that's a lie. That's a lie wherever and regardless of where you find yourself. Unlikely, as you might think, God wants to use you to reach your world with the good news of Jesus. You're the vehicle he chooses to bring glory to himself through. And the only question is, are you ready to let him? And you don't know what I've done, Matthew. I'm fearful that my past will catch up on me. What, 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 what if people get to know me? But, but I'm not even from here. I don't even know the area. I don't even know these people. I'm completely out of touch with culture. Church, what qualifies you to do the works and to speak the words of Jesus is not your own power, not your strength, not your wisdom, not your own cunning, but rather it's the grace of God on your life. You know, your, your color, class, creator, culture may disqualify you from some things in this world. We live in a broken world. But in the eyes of Jesus, you are qualified to carry the power and the presence of Jesus into every situation, into every facet of life, into every relationship. The Spirit of God is given to all peoples indiscriminately. This power is for the persecuted, but it's also for the dirty traitors. Because of that, this is good news for you and me. So we've got to demonstrate a power that proclaims, an equal power that qualifies, and that, that these are the two truths, and there's a lie that's going to come in here. We've got a distorted power that corrects. You know, Simon had been a magician. He'd been a sorcerer. He's like a, a modern-day mystic, a palm reader, a tarot reader, if you will. But he found himself in, in a place of power in the city. People of both high and low esteem went to him. He was a big deal. And now he confesses Christ. He gets baptized even. And he begins to follow Philip. But yet, look at verse 18 with me. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Spirit. Simon tries to slip a brown envelope under the table. He wants what Peter and John have. He's a sham. He's a complete counterfeit. He wants a supernatural ability. He wants a power. But there's no indication that he wants to see people's lives transformed for the glory of God. He simply wants the power so he can do the supernatural. He's preparing to promote a counterfeit gospel through a distorted power. So like a good professional, he's trying to buy the tricks of the trade. He's got another trick up his sleeve. He's trying to get one step ahead. He's trying to build his portfolio. He's in it for himself. He wants to use money to purchase the power of God. And so this is the lie. If you look carefully, this is the lie. His motivation is the lie. It looks like a truth. He believes and he gets baptized, and that's great. But the lure of power reveals his heart's motivation. And look at Peter's response. It's absolutely devastating. May your money perish with you. This can't be bought. It's not about you. You're so far off the mark, Simon. And Peter says in 21, you've no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he might forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. 
for I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. And look at Simon's response. He's worried now. And he says, pray for me that what you've said might not happen. Do you see his, his response is a sham as well? He wants prayer, but he doesn't want to suffer. He, he, he wants a way out, but he doesn't take ownership of his selfishness. And church, this is the crux of it. We're sitting here thinking, tut, 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 Simon, what are you playing at? You're a fool. You've been found out. But the reality is that perhaps there's a little bit of Simon in all of us. Follow Jesus to get advancement in the world. Better job, perhaps. Better life. Decent community. Follow Jesus. It's about what we can get out of it, right? Not much is required. I'll give a little bit of money every now and again. I'll show my face at the right places. I'll jump on Zoom from time to time. I'll keep up appearances. Agree to serve once a month, maybe. Church, I want to tell you that living as a Christian is about following a suffering saviour. It's not part of the rat race of getting ahead. We all have a power struggle. We all want to live our way. And therefore, the, the will of God happens to be the very thing I want to do. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We find out that the will of God is basically what I want to do. It, it makes things a lot easier. But this is where the Holy Spirit brings correction. The lie of selfish motivation reveals a neediness that only the Holy Spirit can correct. Therefore, the true use of power given to us is not to get ahead in the world, not to rule, not to domineer, but rather it's to serve. It's to take the lowly place rather than the elevated. It's actually to go down rather than up. It's the upside down nature of the kingdom that we explored back in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where the lie is manifest most. I use power to benefit me. Therefore, power is a means for me to get ahead. No, I come under the Holy Spirit. I come under the power of the Spirit. Why? For the benefit of others. Remember the outcome whenever Philip and the power of the Spirit guarded miracles and proclaimed the Messiah uh, in the city? You see, just back at the start, it says there was great joy in that city. There's transformation in the city, not as a result of Philip uh, elevating himself in power, but coming under the power of the Spirit, elevating Christ. So this surprising power we're given is actually for the needy and not the greedy. It's for the needy and not the greedy. The power is for the persecuted. So where, where do you need power this week to proclaim Christ? Where do you need power this week to proclaim Christ? If you're facing persecution, if you're facing ridicule for your faith, perhaps your reputation is going to be on the line, then, then be assured of this. The Holy Spirit is particularly interested in you and he wants to fill you with power this week. I want to tell you the power is for the dirty traitor as well. To the needy, to the one who feels unqualified, the one who feels insecure perhaps, the one who feels downtrodden, less than worthy, less than equal. Maybe that's you this week. Maybe that's you on this call right now. I want to tell you there's good news because the Holy Spirit is particularly interested in filling you with power this week. You know, power is for the humble as well. Power is for the humble. The Spirit of God brings correction to the humble, those who are willing to receive it. Those who are willing to lay aside their agendas to deny themselves for the sake of something greater. You know, Simon's selfishness is, in, is revealed and, and his distorted desire for power. And his response to the coming judgment. This is the lie. 
but yet to the needy who seeks the welfare of the other, who seeks to serve rather than rule, that seeks to make Jesus famous rather than line their pockets, rather than elevating their status. This is the kind of power that Jesus magnifies. And so this week, if this is where you're at, if you're humbling yourself, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is particularly interested in filling you with power this week. And like the power play going on in, behind the scenes in the Euro, European Super League, there's a power play that wages war and it rages in our lives as well. You know, the worldly value of power is to domineer, to rule, as a means to get advancement. But yet when we look at Jesus, the true king, we see that he uses power in a totally different manner. It's in a way that serves others. It's in a way that actually elevates the needy and not the greedy. Just where, where you're at, I, I'd love you if you're comfortable just to close your eyes. I want to read a passage from Philippians 2. I'm going to close in prayer. So if you're comfortable, just close your eyes. In Philippians 2, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, we want to see you glorified. We want to see you exalted. And so, Lord, we, we, we sit here where we're at and, and we, we, we pray that the Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit come. Give us power that, that we may be persecuted and power that we, we may stand firm in the midst of persecution, power to actually um, receive and, and, and allow the, the winds of ridicule to blow against us. Jesus, I, I pray that as you come and, and, and clothe us with power, I, I pray just for the opportunities this week to speak your name. I pray as you clothe us with power, you will shift mindsets away from, from being unworthy, unvalued, um, unqualified, to actually see that these are the people, that we are the people that you actually call. And so Jesus, as we humble ourselves, we pray that in your time, you will exalt us. But ultimately, Jesus, we want to humble ourselves to elevate the needy and trust that whether it's in this life or whether it's, it's in the next, that, that, that we'll receive our reward. But Jesus, unlike Simon, may our reward not be tied up in materials and possessions and resources, but may our reward be tied up in seeing you glorified, to see your name exalted in this city. See you lifted high in this city. In your name, amen, amen. amen.